0: This is Teachings in the Air with Sahil Thet. Today's podcast is called Celebrate. You know, celebrate, Sahil Thet, celebrate. And there are times that I get uh, stuck or I get discouraged. You know, and I was thinking of this podcast called Celebrate or Celebration. You know, I keep wanting to put out podcasts get good feedback, you know, and, I, and I'm involved in so many other projects. This one is one of my favorite, but I find sometimes I do not give it the time. Anyway, I, you know, to to look at myself, I say, okay, I want to celebrate. What am I going to celebrate? You know, and I think of all the victories that we have. But to first off, you know, like, I, okay, and I looked at myself, and I seen this word neurosis, you know, and so I looked it up. And then uh, part of the, it says to ask yourself if you have ever experienced any of the following symptoms then that would mean I'm neurotic or I'm suffering from neurosis. So I looked at it, and it says, number one, anxiety and apprehension. And anxiety refers to fear, fear of what's going to happen, even though it's not here yet, so I'd be fearful about tomorrow, fearful about what I'd say to people, you know. I, I was a fearful person. I definitely had neurosis in that area. You know, and then it's number two, excessive worry and guilt. Yes, I was worry, 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 and I remember one day my late cousin says to me, "Jerry, you quit being a warrior. you'll be a warrior now and i that really resonated with me. I'm going to be a warrior for the people. number three tendency towards more negative emotions and reactions, yes. I'd think negative, especially about myself, and about governments, about bureaucracies, all of them, not just Canada, but an indigenous as well as world, you know. And I had negative emotions and reactions in my life. When I at my worst when I didn't believe in Sahilfit or Jerry, I would drink and do drugs. And I, that negativity would come to me, and it would stop me from beating myself up. But it's also caused a lot of damage. Number four, irritability and anger. Yes, I get irritated, irritated and angry. You know, for the wrong reasons. And I'd hurt people with my anger and be I wasn't angry at them necessarily. I was angry at myself and angry at what happened to me. The next is low self esteem. I definitely had low self esteem, then believe in myself, then like myself, then like the way I looked, the way I talked, seemingly everything about myself. Low self esteem. Poor response to stressors, definitely that, you know, when I get stressed out, I drink or, you know, avoid things. I would, what the term I seen in a, a book I was reading about Batmobiling. It means that when Bat Batman is in danger, he'd be in his Batmobile and he'd press a button and the shields would come up and nobody could get to him. He'd be safe. And that's the way I was. I'd Batmobile I'd be in a room, but I, you know... My body would be there, but my mind and my spirit would be shut down. You know, and that's that's not a good way to be. The next one was an, an interpretation of everyday situations as threatening. And, and you know, I wasn't didn't feel safe. You know, around policemen, around professionals, you know, because of what happened to me in my childhood years the next is depression yes i would feel sad and lonely no hope you know for my life i'd be depressed you know and that's not 24/7 but you know usually early in the morning i'd wake up and i'm an early riser and i'd wake up and i'd think about my life and i'd get depressed And the last one on this list was emotional instability. Definitely not a stable human being. Definitely, you know, that was no idea about success. You know, like I wanted to let you know that this wasn't 24-7, but it would be there enough to make my life at times unmanageable. Because I've worked, you know, a large portion of my adult life, i worked. There was times I was in unemployment insurance, and there's a really brief little span of I was in welfare. So I could work, I was functionable, but my life, in my inside, behind the smiles at times, and the laughter was a sadness and a, a neurosis. And then I, today I understand, Sahil, that that, the cause of this was identity confusion. I didn't know who I was. You know, that created identity of stupid Indians, crazy, lazy, drunken Indians that was released into the air and I heard it and it comes through the air to me. I didn't want to be indigenous Because I would see what they were saying at times about being drunken, you know, and stinking Indians, you know. And I would see that at times. And I was ashamed to be indigenous at times as a child and a tween, a young teenager. So I had that confusion. But then, you know, the savior part of that was that my uncles and my parents and other elders would talk about our people are healthy, cultural people. And those are my ancestors. You know, how how they were a good people. The way they would talk, it's just like, I would think I was born at the wrong time when I'd hear those stories. That I wished I was back there when everybody spoke the language and everybody worked together and everybody sang together and danced together, shared food, celebrated. So identity confusion was a foundation of Sahilth's existence at the time. Jerry's existence. And it was um, not a really good time. And then I'd hear some people suffering from addictions and people would talk to them and ask them, why did you change? And people would ask me that. And sometimes we I would answer, oh, I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I wanted to change. So what's the requirements for? What happened to Jerry so he could change, so I could heal? And I started to, first off, to make a commitment to myself to live. I want to live. I want to be happy. I want to be content. I made that commitment. And that happened because my eyes opened. And I could see, you know, life. I could see what was happening. And I could hear also what was happening. And I could see and hear the good people. Because I, this this required that I look at myself, and at that time I did not like how my life was unfolding. There was darkness, you know, and my life literally had become hateful to me. So that commitment, and then I heard the word chut to say to train, train yourself. You know, and I started to get this idea. And I, you know, I don't know when it was I heard that, the first time I heard that I was statlium, because I was an Indian. I have an Indian status card, you know. I'm, I'm on the Seton Lake Indian Band, you know. And the word was really used a lot when I was young. You know, Indian. Then when they heard that we're Stadlium. That's what we are. Uchlamucha. We're original people. So that was anchut. And part of that training was to run. And you've heard me probably in the past, if you've listened to my podcast, I talk about running. And I want to celebrate that—that I—I I actually done that. Because when my anxiety, my neurosis was there, it's just like I was immobilized at times and taking care of myself and being committed to myself. So I started running. And I, I can't explain to you how it became consistent other than maybe, well, I'd listen to my uncle and my dad. They're the ones who were encouraging me to run. And they would say early in the morning, don't be sleepyhead. So I would run. Go out early in the morning just to break a day. And I'd see the world unfolding as I run. Because the trees are shapes that I can see, dark shapes. Road and a trail I'd run on. And I'd hear the wind and i and i start to run. As it lightened. The sun would come. I could see the trees, the definition of the branches, and the pebbles and rocks on the road, and I can hear the birds. I didn't know that I was meditating at the time, because when you run, you have to make sure you don't trip and fall, bump into things, stay on the road, stay on the trail. So I would run. And they didn't tell how far, so I'd run, you know, I started out running four miles a day, you know, and I just and I started to get stronger. And I didn't realize at the time that running every day was increasing my willpower, my will to live, my will to to be who I was. I, I didn't think of that, but that's what it was happening. And my uncle adds to the Statlium identity. Because <laughs> running is about fitness. It's about being ready, physically ready. My cardiovascular is good. My leg muscles, my core is strong. Then they added to the Khozantyut by bathing in the river and the streams and the lake, cold water. And I listened again. And I, and I didn't like it having cold fingers and cold toes and cold body you know but i listened again and i started going to the water submerged myself four times first and i started it would be quick i go like a bird bath they call this in the four times dip dip in four times into the water and run out and you know Dress up and go away. that was the beginning. I kept going again. I cannot tell you what got me to stay this way, but i'm sure i'm I celebrate that i I continued and um when when you know myself when I don't like something or it irritates me or I, Look for excuses. These words come to me one morning when I was going to the cold water in the wintertime. I said to the water, I talked to the water, and I said, I'm giving myself to you today because I need help. I need strength. I need to be cleansed. Oh my gosh, I went to the water and I enjoyed it. I'd go under and I feel the cold water. Oh, I'd submerge myself and I'd look now when I'm underwater. I'd see underwater and hear. So I so I'd I celebrate that today that I achieved that. Love for cold water. You know, one of the—I was thinking of this podcast, and one of my celebrations was that. My uncle says you let the air dry your body, so you stay by the water and look around. You know, and again, I didn't know like this was a form of meditation. And this time, one morning, I went up the the mountain to a stream. And I had built a little pool there by making a little dam so that it was nice, like a bathtub. And I wound up there early in the morning. It's winter time, And I done the same. This time I scrubbed my body with fir boughs that I picked in my way, branches off the fir tree. And I remember I was standing in the water and I, swished my branches around in the water, and I could hear it. And I raised it above my ears to put it on top of my head, and I could hear it go by my ears. So my hearing woke up, and I started to scrub my body with those branches, continuously dipping it into the water. Scrubbed my shoulders and arms on the left side, my chest and my arms on the right side, My legs, my back, I was just scrubbing myself. And I could smell the scent of the fir branch. And it smelled good. Feel the cold water in my body. Then I went in, submerged myself four times again. And I'd stay in longer after I gave myself to the water. And I would enjoy it and i came out by my clothing and i squatted there and was looking around and i'd see the white snow and the green and the blue in the sky you know cuz i got daylight now looking around and my squatting there and my arms were on my knees And I was there, and I I was looking at my arms, and all the little hairs in my arms turned white from the cold air. But my body was heating itself up from the inside out. I realized that was a purification, and my body's burning to keep me alive, to keep me there. I celebrate that memory because it was so beautiful so calming, so peaceful. So that's with the running and the cold water. So this was helping, this is what statlium do, this is helping reinforce my, the positive parts of my identity of being statlium, being respectful. I respect that water, I respect the branch that I broke off You know, and I respect the earth I'm running on. I do that consistently and my healing road and then the sweat lodge come along and calls the place to look at yourself. And the rocks would be red. Put them into the lodge, and there's medicine sprinkled on there. First off, that's the first thing: sprinkle medicine on the rocks. And Be- smell that aroma of sage, juniper, cedar, fungus—the medicines we use—permeate the air, and I'd smell it, and I'd feel calmed just by the scent of the medicine, and feel the heat coming down over my head and shoulders. Then sprinkle the water on the rocks and hear that shh and feel that heat come down. And I'd splash, splash. When I started, I used to do seventeen splashes. I don't know why I'd use a I'd be dipping a branch in the water, and then I'd sprinkle it on the rocks, and I'd do that seventeen times, and I could feel that heat intense in my burns. My ears would burn, my toes—you know—it would be hot, and I'd just stay still until I guess my body adjusted to it, and then I just enjoy that heat. And I would sit there, and there's a medicine, and chanting, singing songs, saying words, positive words of thanksgiving and sending, helping energy to friends and relatives. And I was looking at myself. Then go out and submerge into the water again. Wash I say it's an inside-out cleansing and push out negativity, and I now understand it as detoxing my body. That water rushing out of my pores would help detox, take the unhealthy thing, the toxic things out of my body. Detox, take the poison out. So I celebrate it, because I remember my mother telling me. Because when when, I built my own sweat lodge, and she says, you make those rocks red hot. And you make it hot in there, so hot, and when you go to the cold water, you don't feel it. So I listened to my mom, and that's how I do it. There are times when first-timers come that I, will sort of ease up on the heat because I don't want to discourage them because I have discouraged people in my sharing of my lodge. But that was um, part of being statlium. Being generous is being statlium. Being alcohol-free is statlium. To do ceremony and ritual is statlium. So my identity started to solidify. The more I ran, the more I bathed, the more I attended ceremony, and the more I sang. So I'm now an active participant. In being statlium. So lucky I have elders and teachers to listen to. I put it out there I need help, and I travel. And I'd be running across these elders that would talk about cultural ways, methodologies, of ceremony and ritual and sharing medicines. And that happened because I became an active participant in cultural events, indigenous cultural events. I'd travel to go to another community for a a wellness gathering or a sobriety gathering, and there'd be elders there willing to share because I was now an active participant. I wasn't waiting, I was out looking. And these were all sober events, alcohol and drug free. That's being statlium. I started to go to workshops and conferences that were about health and healing, suicide prevention. You know, that was being statlium too. To go learn, look for knowledge. Look for wise people to listen to, people that you trust so I can learn more about taking care of myself and helping others. The other part of this healing journey that I celebrate today was was what they call food sovereignty, which simply means use the food your people used. Treat food with respect, don't waste, don't over harvest. And that start of me was with berries, we'd go pick berries. My mother when we're children, my mother would say give us the buckets to fill up and she had boxes because we're gonna she's gonna can the jar and dry berries for the winter for the whole family. Until we get fresh berries. You know, my mother was so smart and intelligent. She'd give us our buckets and we'd be there's just on the mountain, there'd be berries all over, blueberries. And she'd tell us, okay, kids, go out and you eat berries until I tell you start picking. She'd give us five or ten minutes, which is very smart. So we go out there and we just eat because we know there's a time limit and we'd be eating berries. Then she'd time us and she'd say, okay, now you fill up your buckets. I think of it, if she didn't tell us to eat as much as we can, we'd be eaten while we're picking, you know. <laughs> so we'd fill up the boxes. Then there was the salmon. It wasn't until I was a young man. And I know, after I was 27, I started to dry and can salmon, sockeye salmon and other fruits and vegetables. You know, and I'd eat what I'd harvest, what I'd put away, and it tastes so good and it's healthy. Now I appreciate, you know, the foods that the indigenous people use there's people so generous. Some Just the other day, I got a little pint jar of um, willigan grease. That's medicine. It's healthy. So I started to recognize the value of our foods and how when we just ate our own food, we were healthy human beings. And... uh You know, the other celebration is a traditional music. I celebrate that I have traditional music. I have composed songs, tunes, and I want to do more. And, you know, when I first heard the drum, I can remember the impact it had on me. Then I participated. I started to learn the music with drums, rattles, sticks, or just hands clapping. You know, and we would learn these beautiful rhythms, these beautiful vocables. Like that song I started this podcast was a gambling song, and I wanted to imagine I was celebrating. We won, I won when I was singing that song for this podcast. So I'd I'd, I'd see music being used to celebrate, to lift people up. We'd be at a workshop, a reserve somewhere, or even in a town, and there would be heaviness. And out of nowhere, it seemed like a couple of brothers and sisters, or a sister or a brother, would stand up and say, I want to sing a song. And they would sing a song, and start to lift us up. I've said this, and I'll say it again, that indigenous music was all about healing and about uniting people. Very inspirational, motivational music. So that helped me out of my neurosis. My self-esteem started to go up because I know songs now, and I learned how to make hand drums, to, to make rattles. So this identity of being statlium, because what I'm talking about, statlium people done it as well as other indigenous peoples on Turtle Island. So my identity of being statlium, being sober, participate, heal, you know, started to, I started started to become comfortable in my skin, of who I am, who Sahilthed is, who Patsay is, who Jerry is, started to lose my neurosis. You know? And I'm so glad. You know, you know, being stately into about accepting that our life, that my life, I'm better off if I live a life of service, if I help others, if I share with others, I teach others, share my knowledge, share my experience with others. That's a life of service. My granny says, and one of my aunts says, when you help people, someone will help us. That's a way to be stately. I'm like when there was a passing in our community, someone went to the spirit world Immediately, we'd start to think, what can I bring them? So if we had extra salmon, extra deer meat, extra food, we'd bring it to them. If we had money, we'd give it to them to help them in their time of loss. That's a life of service to other human beings in our community. And it became like it's a wonderful system. So when I go help, then when we lose a relative, they're there to help us. So it's a back and forth. It's a return of the love and kindness that we share with each other. And I I was encouraged and told by my mom and dad to help others when I can. I was taught to volunteer to help. Don't just sit around on your hands when people are doing things. They need help, go help them. So I go to a gathering and I'd help with the chairs or the food. I went to this one New Year's powwow in Lulowit, and I volunteered to help with the cooks. So I'm making the coffee and then I'm cutting the vegetables because they're going to feed two or three hundred people. And the cooks need to prep people. So I said, hey, I'll help. The cook says, okay, you cut the onions. <laughs> I remember at that time I was um, wearing contact lenses. So I'm cutting onions there, you know, a whole bunch, bag of onions. I'm cutting them, cutting them, cutting them. And you know, of course, I get onions on my hands, and I'm sweating, and I touched my eyes. <laughs> Mistake with onions on your fingers when you got contacts. That My eyes were hurting and I couldn't open my eyes. I said, oh, I need help. They bring me the water, I wash my face, and I take off my contact lenses. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's such a good feeling to help, to be of help, to volunteer. Then, of course, always to work. When people ask you to work, you go there and you do what they asked. You do your best. Sometimes I know there's a resistance to working the way we work today, like seven hours, lunchtime, coffee breaks, all of that. Oh, it's colonial, it's this and that. But no, they're going to hire you to provide a service. You go do that service the way they hired you and pay you. So I started working and helping people with addiction, suicide prevention, abuse, violence. And to be of service is a wonderful, wonderful way of life. It'll help you when you help others. So once I got over this identity confusion, I started to be in my work life to be fearless and to be compassionate. Because compassionate means to be an active participant in other people's suffering. So I'd go when there's suffering, and I would do my best. You know, when I was neurotic, I'd be fearful, you know, apprehensive. Oh, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if they want me to help, and I'd be talking to myself like that. But once I got over that, I'd go, and then people would appreciate it. But if they already had it covered, they'd let me know. Oh, no, no, Jerry, we okay. Oh, okay, I just wanted to help. You know, to get fearless of being able to say, what's going on with me? And caring. People could see that and feel that. So I started to learn how to connect with other human beings. Uh, one of my biggest teachings, and that was my elder. And I don't say names, and I say it because I don't uh, don't ask permission from families to use names of elders that have passed. But I went to this elder and asked him. I didn't went to them. I worked with him. We traveled together. We helped people together. So I had have a chance to listen. And he would tell me stories. He would tell me how to be... And it was just so beautiful. It was healing. So one day I asked him, I said, Hey, how do you help someone when their soul or their spirit's cut and they're suffering? He says, Oh, I see what you're getting at. He says, Here's what I was taught. When someone's suffering, you go over and you say these words. I'm here if you want a hug, I'll give you a hug. If you want to talk, I will listen. And if none of those is what you want, now I want to let you know I'm here to silently support you, to sit with you. Such a wonderful teaching, because I have done that many times. Someone's suffering. Often they don't want to hug, you know, they just say, look at you and nod or whatever. So I just sit there with them silently. And before too long they're talking about what's going on inside of them. Then I can offer encouragement or suggestions. You know, so that's about connecting when someone that's suffering. I didn't know them. I tell them my name and where I'm from and why I'm there. That happened once, and people said, Can you go talk to our nephew? He's had a loss, and I say, Okay. And I go introduce myself and say, Why I'm there? Your relatives asked me to come to be with you. So that was connecting. It's so important that we connect because people aren't mind readers. They'll guess, we all guess, but it's better to be right out there and let them know. You know, that work, when you work with people, it's good to know what trauma is, what depression is, what sadness, you know, all of those. And the way you do that is start to deal with your own depression, your own trauma, your own isolation, if you're hiding. And that's what getting out of our comfort zone. I got so comfortable with my loneliness and my fear and my depression. It became a way of life for a while. But once I broke it, I started to become fearless of showing people this is who I am. I would say publicly, I was a fall-down drunk, for instance. that I was running away and I was drinking. And it was hurting me. You know, it's... Soon as we speak the truth, I was told that up to 70% of the stress leaves our body. Then we can start to deal with what we're stressed out about us. Ourself, myself, you know that and my journey when I became or accepted amstatium, part of that was in my I guess probably one of my lowest moments because I've had the lowest moment in my life where i was life was hateful to me, I was neurotic, I was <laughs> suffering from neurosis. And one of the what got me on the road to being statlium was I went to an elder and told him what was going on and that he would help me. So he helped me, and he didn't call it a vision quest, but we built a small lodge for me up in the mountain. Covered it, and he had me break fir branches from the fir tree it was springtime and i covered the floor and he says that's where you're going to be for four days and four nights you're going to look at yourself not too much instruction he says you're going to get thirsty and the tips of the fir trees were light green and soft he says your breath is going to start to be bad you know you're going to start to dehydrate so after a day or two days, you chew on the end of these fur tips, of this branch, and you spit it out. Because you can start to t- taste ugliness. Because our body is pure. My body is purifying. That's all he said. And I remember sitting there, first day. I started having doubts. Why am I here? And I talked to myself. What are you doing, Jerry? And I say, oh, I'm fat. You know, you're fasting. That's the answer. I'd actually say you. Like I'm talking to myself, you are fasting. My answer would be, oh, this is stupid. This is crazy. Why Why am I doing this? I'd sit there in isolation. Second day, I'm really getting hungry and thirsty. Asking myself again, what are you doing, Jerry. Oh, you are fasting. I'd be hungry, and again I'd say, This is stupid, this is crazy, you know. We all have self-talk, I believe. I do anyway. I was miserable. Then the third day, I ask myself again, third morning, what are you doing, Jerry? And I identified. And I said, I am fasting. My whole experience changed. It's just like when I went to the water and said, Water, I'm here. I'm going to give myself to you. I need help. So when I said, I am fasting. Now I own it. Now it's me doing this. I celebrate that. Say, so use now I statement, ownership of what I'm doing. I am fasting. My whole experience changed. I could hear nature. I could hear life. I was sitting there in my lodge and there's a bumblebee buzzing around. I thought it was around my head. It's dark in my lodge. and I was brushing the air with my hands, you know, thinking there's a bumblebee in my lodge. Then I realized it's outside the lodge. My hearing got sensitive, and I could hear it buzz like it's buzzing around the top of my lodge. Then it left. Then I hear something else outside the lodge that same day. Something moving around my lodge, something heavy. I just sat there still. After it's gone, I went out and looked, and there was bear tracks around my lodge. It walked around my lodge. And, oh, then I could see the green of the trees and the sun reflecting on the needles of the trees, or as pine and fir trees, up in the mountain, and I could smell their scent, and it was good. I celebrate that because I went back in. Now I'm looking at myself, looking for answers. Accepting what I'm doing, and I'm sitting there, and I don't know how long, because time doesn't seem to mean anything after you after I accepted it i'm am fasting, I'm in ceremony, and somewhere in there' it's nighttime i can I'm sitting there, and I could see it's like I'm looking from above and I'm sitting in a circle of people but the people are like blue lights and there's hand drum music and that image stays with me when i was in the lodge in the morning i realized that's my that's my life that's my purpose that's what i'm to do i'm going to help people by sitting in circle and using music so i've sat in many circles with the human beings, and we're all there to share and to help support each other. I remember when that came to me, I was weeping because now I have a purpose. Now I know what I'm supposed to do. And then, you know, and I left, and I'm walking down the trail, and I'm thinking, all oh, stately, I'm used to go through this. It's in my imagination. I, I don't know... A hundred, two hundred years ago, they put people through a vision quest, but I heard they would when they become men and women. They'd isolate them. So that's when I became more statlium. And the teachings were laid at my feet. I'd understand quicker. I'd accept the teachings Laid at my feet by elders and knowledge keepers. And children, you know, people that make sense would be a teaching. And I started, when we do ceremony, I started to understand it as no-talk therapy, as healing. When you participate and you give yourself, and I gave myself to the ceremony. So this cuts down on complaining looking, encourages looking for solutions to find a way to deal with our personal problems and problems caused by other human beings. You know, because, oh my gosh, I don't know how many times I've talked about, in the past, about colonization, about genocide, about all of the truthful things that happened to indigenous people. And I get trapped on what happened in the past. Forget about looking for help for today and tomorrow. And I realized when I'd come to that, oh, I was angry and depressed and neurotic for 14 years of my life, drinking and drugging being angry, and it didn't do anything but makes a heels unhealthy. So I celebrate that time I started to free myself by forgiving people that hurt me, forgiving countries, forgiving the church, forgiving, you know, entities that brought harm. And the word forgive means to let go, so I let them go. I'm not carrying you anymore. I'm not carrying you abusers. I'm not carrying you racists. I'm putting you down today. I'm leaving you. And I started to be empowered. Think for myself. Problem solve for myself. Ask for help. These are stages because I, you know, identity confusion, you know, like if we're indigenous, we're honest, we're truthful, we're humble, we have respect. We're fearless, we have courage. And this has been growing for me, you know, like um, I grew up practically half of my life trying to be, thinking in my mind, I have to try to be accepted. I have to, you know, I have to please people. Otherwise, they're going to reject me and put me down. And I would lie doing that or I do things, you know, that aren't healthy. To be accepted. Because I was generalizing, I was saying all Christians are bad, all Canadians are bad, everybody is not Statlium is bad, excluding the indigenous (laughs) nations around me. I was generalizing to beat the band. That's wrong. Not all people that work for health systems are bad or governments, or police, or any of the agencies, any of the groups. Generalizing was keeping me in my neuros- neurosis. I, I learned from an old Chinese man. And I was at a conference called Crimes Against Humanity at University of British Columbia. And I was called there. To talk about sexual abuse in a residential school. I'd done my presentation and they had told me when yeah, when you're not presenting you can sit through other presentations, which I did. I listened to South Americans talk about genocide in South America. But what was done to the indigenous people there, and it was horrifying. I listened to presentations on the Holocaust and sex slaves during some of the wars in Japan and, you know, on other places. You know, I heard these things that were just... It was a two-day conference, and the afternoon of the second day I was sitting there, and I was thinking, I had to hear something. I'm really getting discouraged about human beings on this planet. And the last presenter was old Chinese man from China. And he's walking up to the podium with two canes. He has an interpreter with him. And he says his name and his village. And he points at his legs and he says, I have the rotten leg disease. And the next statement liberated me and I celebrate that today. He said, the evil Japanese anthraxed my village. Oh, like clarity. I can see, I can hear. And I'd say, the evil Christians hurt me. The evil white people hurt me. The evil people hurt me. So I wasn't generalizing anymore. I started to see goodness in others. You know and that's this is all a process that means step by step I had to let go more I had to forgive you know and I forgive the British people for colonizing you know and when i was, you know I was forgiving literally that's a wrong statement I was apologizing for generalizing that they were all colonizers, and they weren't you know the, the, the two thousand I went to England, I forget what year it was exactly, but I went there to, not specifically to forgive the English, because first off, I was going to a wedding. My sister-in-law was marrying, so I went there, and I said, I'm I'm going to do something on this trip, because travel now became a healing journey for me, part of my healing journey. I said, I'm going to forgive those British, because I hated their accent, everything about them, called them all colonizers, I'm going to forgive them. So I meditated on it, and I come up with words. And I said, I forgive you, Queen of England. I forgive you, British people, because I called you all colonizers, and I hated you, and and I realize, and I want to thank you, you cleaned up the River Thames. I had read that it was so polluted that nothing could live in there. Fish couldn't live in there. Then you put in laws. People couldn't dump toxins in the river anymore. Waste. And there's fish in there again. You showed the people to how to start to protect our water. And also you have, um, you know, you don't modify foods. You can't do that in England. I want to thank you for being an example about change. So I, uh, I forgave, strengthened my identity. I could feel the change when that happened. And it was good. Cut down my complaining. I started to work together with all people who want to work for the same goals of helping people that are suffering. I wanted to celebrate that. That's Somehow in my development, and I'd hear elders saying, you have to forgive, Jerry, and I'd say, no, 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 I don't want to forgive. I didn't cause any damage here. I did, but, you know, I'm talking about the big damage from racism, from genocide, from colonization, all of those. Why should I forgive them? I didn't do anything. I didn't know that forgive means I'm going to let them go. I'm not going to carry the evil ones anymore. So I don't carry them anymore. I still hear of evil people doing things, pedophiles, violent people. But I know it's not, I guess I'll say the mass. There's goodness in all the people. Some of them have lost it, that's for sure. And I tend to want to not look for goodness in people. Try to connect with them and understand if they don't want to. Understand that everybody's on a process, everybody's on a journey. And some of them have neurosis. They have identity confusion, like I did. I still got parts of that in me and I do my best to get rid of all the stuff that caused me identity confusion. So I can be positive. So that's this closing. Let the healing begin. Let's celebrate the victories of new laws, of changing of policies, of more allies that we work together to stop people from stereotyping, from discriminating against anyone that's different. And that requires required me to be fearless and to be compassionate. And I'm growing more. The fearlessness was a tough one for me. Hard to say that I was cowardly, but I was, and I still have parts of it in me still want to not cause waves or stress by saying no, because I don't want to or it doesn't feel right, but I'm getting there. (laughs) So I want to thank you all for whoever's been out there listening to teachings in the air. And thank my um, editor, Jordan Robinson, Because of our connection, I call him nephew. I knew his grandmother and his aunties and a couple of his uncles I have met in my travels. Good people. Lay teachings at my feet. Be role models for me. About being fearless, about believing in your principles. Live your principles and your values. Go all out. I've seen that. For my mentors, my role models. So let's all put our minds together and see what we can do for the children, as Chief Sitting Bull said. Let's understand that the children are relying on us adults to do the right thing. And when we do the right thing, let's celebrate. Thank you. Ah, and Snooknook, friends and relatives, this is Sahil from Teachings in the Air. I've come to the end of another season of Teachings in the Air, and it was called um, The Healing Road, talking about my experience of coming to the Healing Road, being original again, you know, being the real Jerry, essentially, before I was harmed by abuse from other human beings, and from history. So the healing road, you know, is a wonderful road. I'd hear some people say, it's a narrow road. I say, no, it's a wide road. It's a good road, because it's a way of life. It's a good way of life, the healing road. And I believe our people walk that road. We're taught to walk on that road. So we had some wonderful guests come, and I'd like to thank them for coming to share their teachings. Because they are healers and knowledge keepers. And they work with the people, my guests. Well, we had counselors, massage therapists, you know, others talk about healing. So this next season is going to be called Let the Healing Begin, where we're going to you know, one of my elders said to me, too often we just talk about it. Talk about healing, talk about the medicine wheel, talk about, you know, ceremony. It's not about talking about it. It's about doing it, encouraging people. Let's do it. Let's go. Kwishtri. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go find healing. Let's help others to heal. So it's called Let the Healing Begin. And I'm looking forward to finding some healers to talk to that are willing to share their views on healing and ceremony and ritual, because that's what it's going to be about, about indigenous ways. I have, I'm starting to do some sessions called Decolonizing Healing, because I feel that we're at a time in life now in history or we need to focus on our spirit, to heal our spirits, to strengthen our spirit, so we can help our bodies to be healthy, our mind to be sound, so we won't be confused or conflicted. So I'm looking forward to the new seal- season called Let the Healing Begin. So I'm looking forward to the season and I'd like to thank my my Jordan Robinson, for the work he done with editing, the work that he does for Teachings in the Air, and PHSA for sponsoring this site, you know, and uh, giving me an opportunity to meet wonderful people. And it feels good to lay teachings at the feet of the listeners, you know, and all the teachings come from our people. It doesn't come from Sahil It's what I heard comes through the air. So I'm happy to share them and have people share teachings about how for all of us to be healthy, to be sound in mind, body, and spirit. So keep your ears open for the next season called Let the Healing Begin. Thank you.